Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love Podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now, on to this week's sermon. So for over 25 years, I had a mentor. Byron Lambert was his name. Byron was the head of the Department of Philosophy at an Eastern University. I met him when I was an instructor at an upstate New York college teaching Western civilization, the history of Western civilization. I went up to him one day boldly after he had lectured and said, I got a terrible education. I need someone to teach me how to think. He knew the school I'd gone to. He did not disagree with me about the terrible education. And he said he would teach me how to think. And for the next 25 years, I met with Byron once a month. Sometimes we studied his specialty, which was philosophy, particularly the existentialist philosophers, particularly Jacques Maritain. I know way more about Jacques Maritain than I should, actually. Other times we'd be talking about theology. I loved Byron dearly. It was in March of 2003. I was speaking at a conference in New Mexico when I received word that he had died, and I was devastated, completely and utterly devastated. I was 52 at the time, and I remember thinking, I'm too young to have to be my own mentor. I need someone who can guide me, someone who's a step or two in front of me. I was already working with a number of others younger than me, but I thought, I have no wisdom to bring them unless I have the wisdom from Byron. I had lost my North Star. The disciples had lost their North Star. They lost Jesus, and then he was raised from the dead. And so they thought they had him again. And then they were standing on the hill outside the city of Jerusalem when he got ready to ascend into heaven. And they realized again, a second time, they were going to lose their North Star. And so they turned to Jesus in a panic and said, is it time now? Is it time now for you to proclaim yourself the new political king of Israel? Is it time now to defeat the Romans, bring independence back to our people, and give us positions of power? And you can just see Jesus looking at them and then looking at the heavens and saying, could you guys just hold the bus just two, three more minutes? I thought we dealt with this. And then he basically says to the disciples, come on, guys, I've been telling you this for three years. I'm not going to be a political king. There's not going to be any political power. I just want you to trust me. They were lost, completely lost. They were panicking. They had lost their North Star. And so the next thing they did was something else incredibly stupid. They decided to appoint themselves a brand new apostle. Now, note Jesus had not asked them 
to appoint a new apostle. There was no reason for them to appoint a new apostle, but they decided it was incumbent upon them to appoint a new apostle. So they find these two guys who've been around the whole time, Justice and Matthias, and they tell both of them that they're candidates. I'm not sure how wise this was. And then they tell them how they're going to choose between them. They're going to draw straws. And Justice gets the short straw, Matthias gets the long straw, so Matthias gets to be an apostle. And of course, we never hear about either one of them from that point on, because there was no reason for them to choose another apostle. If there was, there's one already out there, kind of like the first one, the one who bankrolled the ministry of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. I mean, that was the obvious choice, but no, they go another direction. There's a wonderful old Irish story. There was a baker in a small town who was beloved within that town until he was accused of a terrible, heinous crime. Everyone was convinced he had committed that crime, though he knew he had not. And knowing he could not receive a fair trial, he went to his wife and said, I'm going to leave stealthily in the middle of the night. I'm going to go to another land until this blows over. It may be 20 years, it may be 30 years, but I must go. And she said, I will wait for you to return. And so he left and went to another kingdom. And in that kingdom, he became the baker to the king. And for 20 years, two full decades, he was the baker to the king. He was pretty much just a servant. He was not paid for it. He was given a place to live, enough food. That was it. And after 20 years of serving the king, he received word that they were no longer looking for him back in his hometown because they had, in fact, discovered that he was not the one who had committed that crime. And so the next morning, he went to the king and said, I will be returning to my home. The king said, this very night, you shall dine with me this very night. I shall send you on your way with good news. And he thought, the king is going to take care of me. After 20 years of working primarily as a slave, the king's going to take care of me. I might not need to work again. And so he has dinner with the king that night. When the dinner is over, the king brings to him a loaf of sweet bread, an extremely heavy, coarse loaf of sweet bread, and says, this I give to you. And the baker thinks, um, okay. And the king says, and I have three pieces of advice for you. Number one, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Number two, stay out of other people's business. Do not become triangulated. Do not become the third person in a two-person conversation. And third, save your anger till morning. And that is, in fact, my gift to you. Thank you for your 20 years of service. And he hit it back that night thinking, really? I get three pieces of advice and a heavy loaf of bread? So he left headed back to his hometown the next morning. And when he got two-thirds of the way through the day, he realized there was a shortcut by a highland route instead of by the seaside route he had taken to get to that kingdom. It would cut hours off of his trip. And he thought to himself, Ah, I will take this shortcut into the highlands. And then he remembered the first instruction of the king. Go back the way you came. And he said, Well, I worked 20 years for that advice, so I'm going to follow it. 
And so he went back along the seaside route. And when he finally got to the place where that highlands route joined in with the seaside route again, he found out that that very night there had been bandits in the highlands route that had robbed and beaten up every single person on the route. And he thought to himself, it was good that I followed that advice. The next night, he's preparing to bed down at the edge of a forest, and it is pouring down rain. And a woodsman comes to him and says, you are welcome to spend the night in my home. I will fix dinner for you. And so he went to the home of the woodsman, a tiny cabin in the middle of the forest. The woodsman made soup for him. And then after they had finished dinner, terrible, awful things happened that the baker had never seen before. And he started to confront the woodsman until he remembered the second instruction of the king. Mind your own business. Do not become the third person in a two-person conversation. And so he said nothing. He did not sleep at all that night. But when dawn came the next day, the woodsman prepared breakfast for him and said, you have lived to breakfast. I've had many others stay here who, in fact, thought they knew better about my actions, and they did not live through to breakfast. But since you had nothing to say, I will tell you my entire story. And so he told the entire story that made everything that had happened the night before completely understandable to the baker. And then he walked him to the edge of the forest and sent him on his way. And the baker thought to himself, I am glad I followed the king's advice. Do not become the third person in a two-person conversation. Do not triangulate. Do not interfere in other people's business. And finally, he was back home. It was late at night. He was looking forward to seeing his wife. He'd not seen her in 20 years. He goes to the house late at night and sees a huge party taking place at the house. And he looks in through the window and sees his wife dancing with a much younger man. She had not waited for him. She had not stayed loyal to him. He wanted to go in immediately and strangle that man to death. And then he remembered the third instruction of the king. Save your anger until morning. And so he went to the edge of town. Sleeping under the stars, he looked up into the night sky, unable to sleep at all. At the first light of dawn, he went back to the now very, very quiet house. His wife met him at the door. She gave him a huge hug, his arm stiffly at his side, as she said, Oh, you're back. It is so, so sad that you weren't here last night. Last night we had a wonderful, wonderful party. Your oldest son is going into the priesthood, and we danced until midnight, but he left so early this morning. You will see him when he returns. And he thought to himself, Hmm. The third advice of the king, save your anger till morning. So he sat down to have breakfast with his wife, and he brought out the heavy, heavy, coarse loaf of sweetbread that the king had given to him, and he cut into it with a knife. And inside, the reason it was so heavy, 20 pieces of gold, one for each year. He had served the king enough that he would never have to work again. Ah, but that the disciples would have had the wisdom of the king. First of all, if they'd known to go back the way they came. Instead, 
They insisted on their own way, their way that had been there before the time of Jesus, that Jesus was going to give them political power. It was their ego's need, power and safety. If they'd gone back the way they came, they would have remembered the words of Jesus in his last public speech and when he's, in which he said of the 613 laws, it is just these three. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Nothing about power. If they had only gone back the way they came, they would have remembered that day that Matthew wrote about in the 16th chapter when they were with Jesus and he asked all of them, who am I? And none of them had the guts to admit who he was or to even hazard a guess as to who he was except for Peter who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes. And you will be the one to preach the first gospel message at the beginning of my church. They would have understand they had a task before them if they had gone back the way they came. If they had not triangulated and become a third person in a two-person conversation, they would have known it was not their business to choose another apostle. The choosing of apostles was between Jesus and the person chosen. It was not theirs to take hold of that power. And besides, with the first person he ever chose, with the person who bankrolled his entire ministry, the first one who was there at the open tomb, it should have been obvious to them that it was Mary Magdalene. If they had waited till morning, they would have initially come to see what they eventually came to see. It's in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Let's pick it up there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If they had just waited, if they had just saved their panic and their anger till morning, when they were together, they would have known that what Jesus wanted them to do was trust the flow. That's what the blowing of the mighty wind is. It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is flowing into their lives as a mighty wind that should be trusted. Trusting the flow of the Spirit, trusting the flow of the wind, trusting the flow of the water. We find ourselves constantly fighting against the flow when God is saying, be quiet, be still. Save your thoughts till morning and trust the flow. And then another thing happens. Tongues of fire come above their heads. Now, what are those tongues of fire? Well, that's why so many of you are wearing red tonight, because they are a sign of the Holy Spirit, these tongues of fire. But also, fire was the only light they had. In one form or another, every form of light they had outside of the sun, which of course is a ball of fire, was in fact fire. The only light they had at night was fire. So it was light 
when it came above their heads. You know, I'm of a certain age where I grew up with the Roadrunner cartoons. And I always had this predisposition toward Wiley Coyote. You know, this poor thing that just constantly has these ideas that just never work. He buys the Acme product. He puts it together. The rocket takes him out over the huge canyon. He looks at the camera and realizes he's over the huge canyon. And he goes down and, and smashes into the ground. I mean, it happens over and over again. I just thought it was incredibly hilarious. But I loved especially when the light bulb went off over Wiley Coyote's head. It was his moment of insight. That is what comes to the disciples in that room. It is their moment of insight. It is when they see the light. It is when they realize, oh, go back the way we came. This is about loving God, loving neighbor, loving self. We've already been told Peter is to preach the first gospel message. So let's have him preach it. And he did. And what happened? Same chapter. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Catch those two words, we're coming back to them, corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So right there, he says, be baptized, and it will save you. And you say to yourself, I've been around this church for, I don't know, a year, two, three, five years. So really, I do need to be saved from my sins, or I'm going to hell? That's not what he's saying here. Remember how sin is referred to in the New Testament? Yes, we have our personal sin. I like to refer to it, have referred to it recently, as our abiding shadows, or if we're courageous, our abiding flaws. Or James Hollis, the Jungian analyst, calls it our existential guilt. We have those things that we do wrong, that we really kind of never, ever get fully over. That's not what this is about. This is about a collective sin, a corrupt generation. When the Apostle Paul talks about sin, he's not talking about the mistakes you make, the mistakes I make. He's talking about our tendency as humans. Our tendency as a species is to do things in groups we would never ever consider doing on our own. There is a power of a group that can become a cosmic malevolent force. We see it happening right now against my population, the transgender population. People who, if I meet them one-on-one, -on -one, will be fine with me, but in a group, become a cosmic malevolent force. That is the sin he's talking about here. What is your North Star? What is guiding you? Is it a conspiracy theory? Is it a right-wing politician? Is it a left-wing politician? What is guiding you? And what Peter has said to them is, 
if Jesus is guiding you, then Jesus will save you from that type of living where you become a part of a cosmic malevolent force. Because why? Because you will decide to follow the way of Jesus. That's what baptism is. Baptism as immersion was a picture of a death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism of sprinkling and pouring didn't happen until the 8th century, wasn't made um, a part of the church until the 12th century. It was almost always immersion in water of someone who had decided to follow the way of Jesus. And as such, it was a symbol of saying, I'm moving away from this way of thinking, and I'm moving toward this way of thinking. What way? The way of Jesus. We see here all the time, more important than the identity of Jesus is following the way of Jesus. They were making a pledge of allegiance in their baptism, saying, I'm going to join the forces that are following the way of Jesus to love God, love neighbor, and love self. And what do they do after that? It's pretty simple. They gather together for the apostles' doctrine, for fellowship, for breaking of bread, and for prayer. The apostles' doctrine was to hear the message of Jesus that ended up being in the four Gospels. The apostles' doctrine was the teaching of all of the apostles and those who wrote Scripture. The fellowship was getting together because, as I've said so many times, it's always better to figure out the meaning of life in community than it is alone. Breaking of bread meant having meals together, as so many of us do every single week after the service is over, as we try to do in special events once a month, being together to eat. And of course, it's also the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is to remind us every single week that we have committed to the way of Jesus. So they were focused on those three things, the teaching of Scripture, fellowship, spending time together, the breaking of bread in common meals and in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. And what was their prayer? Prayer was integrating themselves into the message of Jesus. Prayer was not making personal requests to get that new job. I mean, you're allowed to do that. You can pray about anything you want to pray about. But prayer in that setting was primarily integrating your own heart's desire with the message of Jesus to love God, love neighbor, and love self. When the day is done, if they had waited for the insight, waited for the light to come above their heads, if they had waited and trusted the flow of the Spirit, they would have known the truth that was true then that will be true for all time. Christianity is not complicated. It's simple. Love God. Love neighbor. Love yourself. It's simple. It's not easy. God, thank you for those tongues of fire, for the light bulb going off above their heads that let them know they needed to trust the flow and repeat the teachings of Jesus. Thank you that they had the courage to do that and um, give us the courage to do the same. To love you. 
to love our neighbors. Oh, yeah, all of them, particularly the ones that don't look like us, maybe especially the ones who don't like us very much. And to love ourselves, because if we don't learn to do that, we can't do the other two, you know that. God, thank you. Thank you for making it simple, if not easy. <laughs> and thus we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash envisioncommunitychurch. Thank you for joining us.